we are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Dion shares his message from me, myself, and why am I the sum of my parts? Today, I want to start off just saying why this series matters so much to me personally as one of the people who helped design it, why I believe this is so important and why it has been important in my life. Uh, I'm 45 years old now, and I feel like at 45 years old, I finally got to the point in my life where I finally understand who I am not, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot of progress, but for me, that's, that's pretty good. See, I think it's where we all are in this, in this journey, wherever you are. The first step in discovering who we really are is actually figuring out who we are not. See, I, like all the rest of us, often look to things like we've talked about in this series to try to inform who I am, what, what my sense of self is. You know, was I made like this? Am I my genetics? Am I my blue eyes or my German nose or my height, my weight, my, my personality, my temperament, those things that are just in my DNA? Is, is that who I really am? Am I my successes or failures? Am I the sum of my relationships? You know, if I'm single or if I'm married, does that define me? If I'm a parent, does that define me? If, if the people I love don't love me back, what does that say about me? Does that have some, some statement over who I really am? And, and today we're gonna talk about one more. You see, when we start off on this journey of identity, of discovering who we really are, for most of us, we have to kind of go through this process of saying, oh, wait a minute, maybe I don't know who I am yet, but I I can tell you who I am not. But then we have to move beyond that. And eventually, it's not good enough just to know who we're not. Ultimately, where we want to come is to a place where we know who we really are. But it's tough, isn't it? I often say that I am the hardest person for me to know. I think it's way easier for me to figure out other people in my life than it is for me to know myself. And and it's so hard, this, this journey to really discover who we really are, that for a lot of people, they just give up. A lot of people go the way of Buddhists. I don't know if you know much about Buddhism, but a fundamental tenet of Buddhism is that uh, I get to the point where I say, you know what? How do I answer this question? Who am I really? The answer is, I'm nothing. There is no self. I'm just a part of the universe who thinks it's something. And the quicker I let a sense of self go, I I detach from the things that I think are me or the things around me, the quicker I will find a, a kind of peace that comes through detachment. Now, I'm not a Buddhist, but I can understand the claim or or the the appeal of that because this question is so hard to answer. It's easy to give up and just go, you know what, forget it. Maybe I'm nothing. And yet, I want to tell you today, you are something. You are a self. The Bible says so, and I think you know that's true. And, And not only that, it's only when you start to discover who you really are at your core, not simply who you are not, but who you really are, it's only then that you can experience what we talk about here at Pathfinder all the time. It's only then that you can discover a whole life. That's right, until you really get a sense of who you are, your uh, relationships will never work, you will burn out at work, your body won't work right, life will be bad until you know who you really are. So that's why the stakes are high, that's why this is important, and we've got one more week to try to unpack or at least 
go deeper into this in some sort of lasting way. And today, uh, in the final week of the series, we're going to look at Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's a great leader in the New Testament church. We're going to look at a letter he wrote to the Christians at Colossae, chapter 3, starting at verse 5. Now, I'll tell you as we start in, Paul's going to start with behavior. But I want you already to temper yourself as you read these words that this is not ultimately about our behavior or changing or challenging our behavior. There's a deeper teaching here. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, and you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now, in the church, and you know, the revivalist preachers over time, we've railed against these things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. We're really good at talking about those things in the church. We're less good at talking about what Paul will address next. Still staying in the way of behavior, but it's bigger than that. We'll see this in a second. He says, you know, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage. Now, I'll tell you, in some churches, these are badges of orthodoxy. Like the angrier you are, the holier you appear to be. Have you ever met angry Christians who think they're like, oh yeah, I can tell I'm holy because I'm really mad about this stuff. And Paul goes, no, no, no. I, I mean, anger doesn't have a place in the people of God. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you, get this, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, so often when we read scriptures like this, we get hung up on the behavior parts, don't we? And we look at the list and we're like, oh gosh, I got some work to do. I gotta get rid of that stuff. Put off the old self. I gotta get rid of that stuff. So I gotta attack my behavior. And you know, for the last few hundred years, Christianity has unfortunately become about a lot of behavioral modification. I'm trying to change my behavior, looking at the behavior that's not good and trying to modify it, trying to fix it, trying to correct it, head on, changing my behavior into other kinds of behavior. But notice Paul isn't just talking about behavior. Behavior is important, but behavior is not where it starts. Notice what he's talking about. He's talking about what we've been talking about now for five weeks. He's talking about identity. Put off the old self. Put off who you think you are, who you used to define yourself as. Put that thing off and put on a new self that comes with a whole bunch of other things. The problem isn't our behavior. The problem is our understanding of who we actually are. Because here's the reality. You are not who you think you are. That's what this series has been about. Again, I mean, all these questions that we've been asking We often look at these things and we try to come up with an identity based on these things. We think we are all of these parts and we try to make an identity out of these parts. Not only that, uh, but here at Pathfinder, you probably know this if you've been here before, that we love to talk about a whole life in Jesus. And so a whole life for us means that Jesus and the wisdom of scripture wants to help us live better in our financial lives, our vocational life, that's a way of saying our purpose or our calling, our relationships, our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our mental lives, that Jesus doesn't just come to get us to heaven someday, that Jesus comes and he's offering you life now, here and now, in every one of these facets of your life. But that word is important, facets of your life. 
Because too often, what happens, we take one of these areas of life and we latch onto it, we elevate it, we let a part of our lives become the totality of our identity. Know what I'm saying? You do this, so do I. Uh, It used to be that men were really bad at this, I think everyone's bad at this now. Uh, Defining ourselves by our vocation, our calling, our purpose. Um, For some of us, you know, our job may fit into that. And uh, so when you meet someone at a cocktail party or a meet and greet or something, a mixer, the first thing that you ask somebody is, what's your name? They don't have a name tag on, what's your name? The second question you ask them, if you're from St. Louis, of course, is where'd you go to high school? But in every other place, the second question you ask is, what do you do for a living? Right, I wanna know what to call you and then I want to know what you're called to do because that's gonna define you. And so many of us find ourselves being defined by what we do or our relationships. Talked about this some, who loves me, who doesn't love me. I, you know, talk to single people. If, if you're a single person, you know this in the church, that um, in the church, it's hard to be a single person because the rest of the community takes so much identity from being married. And sure, it's a part of us, but we let it become the whole of us or becoming parents. This is why so many of us struggle. If we're struggling with infertility, if we can't be a parent, it becomes such a, it's, it's more than just a loss or a painful thing. It becomes an identity changing thing. Or if we go through a divorce or we lose a spouse or we send our kids off to college and we're in an empty nest, suddenly it's not just that we've lost something that we value, we've lost a sense of who we are. And that's a sign that relationships have become too big. We've let this part become the whole. Come on, in this, in this culture, we define ourselves by our financial ability, whether we're rich or we're poor, by what we have, what we own, how much money we have in the bank, or what we believe. And Christianity has almost become uh, an experience of this. What do we believe versus what does that group believe? What are my thoughts about life or God? And we, we define ourselves, divide ourselves up by the beliefs that we have, or how we look Even our spiritual lives, get this, our spiritual life often becomes elevated to the whole. We think primarily we are spiritual people and that's what counts. I love what Eugene Peterson says. If you don't know that name, he's the guy who wrote the message version of the Bible. It's kind of his translation. Just a a great Christian leader in the faith. He died a few years ago. He said this once. He said, people ask, how do you mature a spiritual life? The one thing you do is eliminate the word spiritual. It's your life that's being matured, he says. And yet so often we think about those spiritual activities which are real and we think that's all that matters and that's what we focus on and he's saying, no, 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 there's something bigger here. Don't let that part take the place of the whole. You're a whole person and God wants to mature all of you. See, so often, you get this? It's obvious, but I just, I, I I gotta make this clear today. And so often we look at these parts and pieces of our lives, these, these roles that we play, and we elevate them to the highest level and we try to take identity from those things. But as long as we do, even, even the good stuff, as long as we do that, as long as we make the parts into the whole, or even if we think we're a sum of all the parts, we will miss out on who we really are. Which is why, although Paul's talking about behavior, and he's saying, hey, you know, there's a different way to live. He doesn't attack behavior. Those are just parts of us. He goes to this deeper thing and he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. 
Right, we saw these words earlier. You've taken off your old self with its practices, right? The practices come from the self, not the other way around. And yet, how often do we get it backwards? So you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which in fact is not all that new. It's as old as time because it's only being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What Paul is saying here is that who we really are isn't new. It's not like you have to become something else or find some new identity. It's been with you all along it just needs to be renewed. So you can think about a, a nice old house, go into a house that's been neglected for a little while and, and uh, you see this 1970s shag carpet. It's not, it's not been taken care of very well. It's old, it's dirty, it's pet stained. And of course, because it's from the 1970s, it is green. And, uh, and you take up that shag carpet and underneath you discover, oh my gosh, beautiful, gorgeous hardwood floors. And maybe they need a nice refinish, but that's what Paul's talking about. You start to take off the facades of who you thought you were, all of those parts that you've made into the whole, you pull those things away, you discover there's something better. Or uh, taking down paneling or drywall to discover gorgeous St. Louis red brick. Or even over here on our platform in our baptismal area, there's that cross over there. I don't know if one of our cameras can grab it, but there's that cross over there. And uh, some of you know this, this cross over here is from our 1950s church. It was the steeple on that church. And I love the patina on it. It gives that kind of nice green color, but someone really went to work on that. You discover there's, there's copper underneath that, you know, shiny copper. Right? What Paul is saying is, as you put off the old self, you'll discover there's something new underneath that simply needs to be renewed. Take down the facade, take, pull up the shag carpeting, you know, take off the patina, and there's something powerful underneath. See, that's why Paul says what he, he's going to say next in Colossians. He's same words or similar words that we heard back on Easter. He says, here, when, when, you, when you get to this place, of knowing who you really are, then there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. These were the biggest, the biggest identity markers in Paul's world. What's your religion, what's your ethnicity, what's your culture, what's your socioeconomic status? In another place, we looked at this on Easter, Paul even says your gender identity, male or female. Once you grab onto who you really are, even these things that are the most important things that we identify ourselves by, they don't matter so much anymore because now Christ is all and is in all. So you look at your life and you see stuff you don't like. You look at behavior and you say, man, this isn't serving me well or other people call you out for it. The answer is not to attack the behavior or to fix the extremities of life. The answer is to get down to the core of who you are, to put off the old self, who you thought you were and all the ways that you defined yourself and to put on this new self, which isn't new at all. It's as old as time and it's being renewed by God. So, so what does this mean that Christ is all and is in all? Well, I'm gonna help explain what Christ revealed to us, what Christ revealed to the world, and to do it, I'm going to use a word that maybe you've heard before. The word is Trinity, not that one. That one, okay, Trinity. You've heard the word Trinity before? Yeah, Trinity, Trinity, maybe you've heard it before. It's a word that's not in the Bible. There's churches named Trinity. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but it describes a concept that is in the Bible. Trinity is a way of describing the very being of God, who God is at his core what his identity is. And Trinity says that God is one. He's one being. 
We don't have multiple gods, we have one God, and the scriptures are clear on that. And yet this God reveals himself as a father, as a son, as a Holy Spirit. And yet these are not just one God kind of putting on different faces for us at different moments in time, different disguises or coming in different ways. There are moments when the Father, the Son, the Spirit are all present interacting at the same time. There's, there's interaction there. There's a community within this oneness. And I'll just warn you, if you're new to the Trinity or even if you're not, do not try to make this too concrete because it will break your brain. It will. And that's not a cop-out, because there are other things that will break your brain if you try to make them too concrete. I mean, try to understand infinity. Infinity is a mathematical, scientific concept. You try to understand infinity, you're just like, I, mean, it's, it's, I get it, but I don't. Or, um, or, you know, go back to math class. Go back to like elementary school, middle school math class. You know this. What happens when you try to divide by zero? Your calculator starts smoking, right? It's just like, what happened? It's undefined. There's no answer to it. You can't divide by zero. What do you mean you can't? It's undefined. There are certain things in life that are undefined. The Trinity is one of those things. And yet what it does is it helps just give us, give us some, some, a shade of understanding about who God is. But not only that, this is what few people understand. God revealing himself in a triune way is not just him showing us who he is, it's also a way that he shows us who we really are. It's about our identity too. One of the ways that the church has tried to uh, talk about the Trinity is through these statements called creeds. How many of you have heard of the Apostles' Creed before? Yeah, uh, the Apostles' Creed is a statement of belief that kind of unpacks this Trinitarian being of God. Now, I wanna head something off right now. Because I mentioned the Apostles' Creed, I'm gonna head off an email right now. Someone's gonna be like, well, if the creeds are important, Pastor Deanne, why don't we say them more often? Uh, we like to use creeds here in public worship, especially when we have an in-service baptism. That's, creeds are often baptismal statements. And so, if you wanna say the creeds in service more often, then you just need to get more people to be willing to be baptized in the service, okay? See how I did that? I put that right back on you. So go share the gospel with people or in your own family. Say, we're not going to do it after service. That's a fine way to do it. But you want more creeds? We'll do them in the service when we get more people baptized in the service again. Okay? Um, so today we're going to look at the creed. And we're going to look at it not only as an explanation of who God is. We're going to look at this differently to help us understand who we really are. And for those of you who miss saying the creeds in service, we're going to do that right now. I invite you to read this out loud with me. Say this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So it says something about God. He's the creator of everything. It says something about you. Do you hear it? It says that no matter who you are, you are a child of the divine creator. It says you're not an accident. You're not a natural consequence. You are someone who was intentionally created. You were designed, you were thought of, you were knit together, you are loved. It says that you bear the image of God, that God's very likeness is imprinted on you. It says that you have value from before you were even born, which I think is an important thing for us just to remember right now as we're wrestling with so many big things in our country and, and legal things and political things and all the things that are swirling. And I think that's what makes these, this, these conversations so hard for us 
is that we know when we're dealing with human life, we're dealing with something that has value. I believe everybody understands that deep down. See, who are you according to the creed? You are royal. You're part of God's family. His life and his likeness is at your core, and that's true of all of us. See, there is no difference between people on this, on this regard. That's true of every person who has ever lived. No matter what their faith or, or background, no matter what they do in life, their action, their appearance, their situation, you've never met a person for whom this doesn't apply, that they are a child of God, a loved child of God, that they are royal, that they belong to the family of God, that they are deeply loved and valued. That's true of every human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. You see, the first article of the creed says something, not just about God, but it says something about us, that we are people of value, so much so that when we try to reject this birthright, as the first humans did in an event called the fall, some of you know about that, Genesis 3, if you want to know more about it, that when we try to reject this birthright and say, no, 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 we don't want it, we want, we want an identity that comes from something else, God says, you, you can't reject this, and he starts pursuing us. And he pursues us throughout time, ultimately pursues us through his son. That's what the second part of the creed is about. Say this with me. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven. and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. You got that right. He ascended, I said the wrong thing. When's the last time you said thence in polite conversation? Just curious. Again, it's saying something about Jesus and what he did, but it's, it's really telling us something about us. It's telling us what Jesus was willing to do in order to get us back, to bring us back to our birthright. Uh, some time ago, someone I love, who shall remain nameless, called me in a, in a panic from an airplane um, right before I was ready to take off, and she, was, she told me that she left her brand new iPad at a TSA checkpoint at the Phoenix airport. And uh, the plane was ready to take off, she was late for her flight, and just barely got on her flight and realized she left her iPad there, and I, I said, you know what, let, let me handle it. I did not know what I was getting into, and I said, let me handle it. Airports don't answer their phones. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, And then you're not only dealing with airport administration, you're dealing with a government agency, the TSA. And and so it took hours of waiting on hold and leaving messages and playing phone tag until I finally got a hold of somebody. And then I had to go through steps to, to prove that this was actually our property. And then after that, I had to go and I had to set up a FedEx prepaid account so that they could ship it back to me on my dime. And you know what? They didn't send it the cheap way either. They like added insurance and all this stuff that I never would have paid for. Um, Eventually, we got the iPad back. And I'll tell you this, all of the time and effort and money was worth it because I love the person whose property this was and this property mattered to her. And so even though it took a lot of time and effort and energy and money to get it back, I did it with joy. I did it with gladness. Now you can imagine how I felt just this last week when I was looking for something and, and there's this basket on her side of the bed and I looked in the basket and I saw that iPad 
just sitting in there. It's been in there for months. It had no charge, no life. She has not used it in a long time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? After all, I, this is why she shall remain nameless. You see, this is what Jesus shows us, that we're all created with such value, all of us, all of us, the whole world, that he gladly comes and and he puts on flesh and he becomes like us to trade his invaluable life for ours because he knows how much we matter to the Father. Just take that in for a second. That means that although you are fallen, and you struggle with sin just like I do, that means that you are not trash, you are not too broken, you are not too far gone, you are not disgusting in the eyes of God, that is not true. Jesus would not have done all that he did for trash. Right, when when you look at what Jesus did, what he gave, what he suffered, come on, he would only do that for someone that he loved and valued, you hear me? Amen? Come on, take that in today. But but different, this part of our identity is different because unlike that first part of the creed identity that is true of every person who's ever lived, Jesus comes with an offer of this identity to us. He's inviting us into relationship. He wants us to receive this truth by faith and to come back into a relationship with the Father. And so this part is up to you to receive or not. You can't earn it, he's already done it for you, but he comes offering it to you. He will not force it on you. He's inviting you in to this deeper sense of identity, but it really is up to you to decide whether or not you want to receive it. And today can be the day, if you've never received it, where you can receive it. And it's as simple as this, just understanding what Jesus did, understanding that he did it because you are valuable to the Father, You're an object of love, you're an object of the Father's affection. Jesus joyfully endures all that he does to bring you back to the Father. It's simply saying, Jesus, okay, show me the Father, lead me back to the Father. I I want to be who you say I am. And there's nothing else you have to do, you simply have to receive what Jesus has done on your behalf, trust in it, and let him lead you back into a relationship with the Father. There's one final piece of this, it's the Spirit. Uh, Say this, the third article of the Creed with me. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. It talks about the Holy Spirit and talks about all the things that the Spirit does and how the Spirit works, but it's saying something about you. This is something that Christians in the West have been slow to understand and embrace. And unfortunately, new age, religions and Eastern religions, they kind of understand this better than we do and they've distorted it, but they understand it better. You see, what this is saying is it's saying that now by faith, if you've been baptized, that you are now a carrier of the divine presence. It's saying by faith through baptism, God lives in you. The the divine being, the divine essence, the divine spark lives in you. And he is your guide, that intuitive voice inside of you. He's a source of life, renewing you from the inside out. He is God's presence with you. So everywhere you walk, you carry God with you. In every interaction you have with another person, you bring the presence of God into that space. You are his sacred vessel. You are his dwelling place on earth. You are his temple, the Bible says. 
So you getting this? This Trinitarian being that we talk about and we're trying to figure out who God is. Yes, it's describing who God is, but I think in some ways the reason God reveals himself in this way is not because he, he, we need to know him in this way for his sake, but he's trying to show us who we are. He's telling us something about who we really are, that we are created in his image, we are loved, our birthright is royal. He's telling us that we're loved and valued so much so that God would give his life in place in exchange for us, to bring us back into relationship. He's saying that we are vessels of God's presence in this world. We walk with with God's divine energy inside of us, his presence inside of us. We live with, with that. This Trinitarian theology means that we are so much more than we think we are. And every time we profess the creed, we're saying something not just about God, but we're saying something about who we really are. See, that's what Paul's saying. Put off the old self. All the thoughts, all the imaginations of who you thought you were, all of the parts and pieces that you have elevated too high, saying, put those things aside, take on this, this, this new and deeper reality, and when you do, it will change everything. Look what he says next. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I'm just gonna pause right here because you cannot do What comes next, you cannot do the instruction that happens next until you take hold of this reality first. That's what Paul's saying. You put off the old sense of who you are, you put on this new sense, this Trinitarian theology, you put it on yourself, you understand who you are, you understand that now you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who you are. And it's then and only then, when you put off the old and you put this on and you walk around the world going, I am God's chosen person, holy and dearly loved, it's only then, only then, that you can do the rest. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You try to do this without doing this, it won't work. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, until you know that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you're not gonna be able to forgive people. You're gonna walk around with grudges and and burdens. He says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You will not live a life of love until you know that you are chosen, holy and dearly loved. Let the peace, let the wholeness, the shalom, the irene, Shalom's Hebrew, Irene's Greek, same thing, peace or wholeness, the wholeness of Christ, rule in your hearts. You won't know wholeness until you know that you are chosen people, holy and dearly loved, but it's not just about you, since as members of one body, you were called to wholeness. And be thankful, he says. See, it's not until you put off the old self and you understand who you really are that you can experience wholeness. See, unless you have this at the core of your identity, then every time someone rejects you, every time you make a mistake or have some great success, uh, whatever your genetics or your appearance says about your abilities, disabilities, those things will, will disturb you, they'll destroy you, they'll wreck you, but when you know who you really are, then those things don't matter anymore. You'll have peace. Doesn't matter who loves you or who doesn't. Doesn't matter how you appear to the world. It doesn't matter about your mistakes or successes. You'll know real wholeness. And it's not just you personally. It's not until you see yourself this way through this Trinitarian lens and you start to see other people in the church through this lens 
And come on, we, we don't see each other that way. You know this, the church is the most fragmented, or at least one of the most fragmented institutions on planet Earth. We're divided by race, we're divided by socioeconomic status, we're divided by ethnic origin, even which parts of Europe or Africa or Asia or whatever our, our ancestors descended from, we're divided by that. We're divided by all kinds of doctrinal teachings that are so, we just think we're so smart and we have God figured out and then we argue with each other and we, we turn against other people who think things differently. See, it's not until not only do we know who we really are, but we start to look around and see that other people are not who we think. We stop judging each other. We stop dividing up on all these superficial lines. It's not until we look at ourselves and we see this Trinitarian identity on us, but we see it in other people. It's not until then that we will become whole. When we start to look around and realize that we are all just sharers in this Trinitarian identity, that we are one, when we start to do that, then you know what? We'll realize that it's not about other people's behavior, it's not about other people's genetics, it's not about other people's relationship status or their doctrinal beliefs. That at the end of the day, God has called us to be one because our identity is all rooted in the exact same thing. See, but you gotta get the flow right. It's not saying the behavior or those other things don't matter, but you gotta know where to start. Now, uh, you've seen a tree before, I'm sure, maybe not like this, um, but here's what you can see with a tree, and, and, and you know this, that the root system is just as vast, if not more vast than the branches. If this tree were in winter, this would actually look pretty much the same. It would look symmetrical in some ways. But here's something that I know you also know about trees. Trees are not reversible. Right? You can't plant a tree in this way and expect it to, you know, leaf out this way. There is, there is a directionality, there is a flow to it, and yet how many of us try to build a life this way? We take our accomplishments, we take our appearance, we take our beliefs, we take all the things that are actually a result of the people God has called us to be, and, and we try to make those the core of who we are. We try to build a life around those things. It's backwards. You've got the flow the wrong way. See, see the right way? Yeah, this is the right way. The right way is to understand that at the core of who we are is not our accomplishments, it's not who we love, it's not what we believe, it's none of the things, it's not any part of the six parts of a whole life. It is ultimately about who God says we are. It's our identity. And when we are rooted in that identity, this is what Paul's saying. He talks about all that behavior, but it's not about behavior. When we're rooted in this identity, when we put off the old self, we put on the new self, when we understand that we're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, when we take this Trinitarian truth and we make it our own, when we're rooted in that, then we can have wholeness. Then we can have fullness. Then we can have fruitful lives. Then we can have abundance. Then we can have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and put over all those things love. Then we can live in peace. As people and as a church, but we gotta get the flow right. I'm excited 
that we're at this moment at a church where we're finally kicking off action teams and we're encouraging you to take a step forward in your whole life journey. It's really exciting to me, but I just want to be clear, none of that means anything. You'll never get closer to wholeness if you start with what you do. It comes from who you are. Let's pray. God in heaven, I ask today that you would help us put off our old selves. And by that, God, I mean whatever has defined us, bad or good, however we see it, whatever we have taken identity from in the past, today, God, I I pray that by your spirit, you'd help us set that aside, not as unimportant or anything else, but just as inadequate. And God, by that spirit that dwells in us by faith through our baptisms, help us begin to reconstruct, to be rooted in who you have declared us to be, not just with words, but through your actions throughout time. When you called this creation, this world into being, God, when you created us as the crown of the creation, when you sent your son to do all he did, when you sent your spirit to fill us. God, use all of that to speak a greater sense of identity over us and give us roots that go deep into that truth that we might be whole people, that our church might be whole, that, that God, we might find all the things that we're really looking for and all the things that the world really needs. So help us today, God whether it's glory or shame, put off all the other things that have defined us and to let you speak this new and fuller name and truth over us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources on our website, pathfinderstl.org.